You are listening to episode 237 of the Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody, here at the Game Deflators Podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we've come to conquer your world in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we are talking about Rack in Ruin on the Nintendo Switch, also available on PC and other digital areas. Um, you know, I, yeah. I almost came at this week totally weird. So Rack in Ruin, if you put like just a, a single uh, apostrophe between the rack, the N, and the another one between the N and the Ruin, that is a transformer. There are two transformers rack and ruin who apparently almost died and then they were fused together so it's like two guys next to each other but just their one arm is connected by a bar and then they each have their own arm i don't know why they weren't just independent one-armed robots at that point but apparently that's what was needed to be done and i learned all that very quickly before this episode that explains why every damn time I searched up Transformers came up too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I was like, why am I getting Transformers stuff? I know. I was just like, Rack and Ruin. Okay, Rack and Ruin video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, thanks. All right. Well, uh, to kind of kick it off here, you can find us on the GameDeflators.com or out-of-date website. Uh, we will at some point update. I, I don't know when, but we will. I think we should just always leave it out-of-date. Just by one week to keep up the trend. <laughs> Shit, that thing's out-of-date by like... A year. Yeah, I know. Okay. But if we only catch it up, we can always leave that one week behind. Well, see, what is updated is like the co- the actual audio uploads are okay, updated. Yeah, but yeah. what's not updated is um, our inflation deflation segments. So I've got, uh, I don't know, like 180 something of them to kind of do. So I don't actually more, more like 200 to do. <laughs> Man. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be rough. Um, and it actually kind of requires me to go back and take transcript from all of our episodes to copy and paste in there for our review portion, which mm-hmm. is just as painful. So I don't know how it's going to work, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, yeah, at some point. Um, or we just remove that section altogether. <laughs> just be like, no more. Intern. We'll get an intern. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll pay you in. Unpaid intern. Video game rental time from John's collection, but you <laughs> must stay at the house to play them. Okay. So that you can find us on YouTube, which I think is out of date by a week. Although I typically will upload between Monday and Sunday, which gives me a week to upload. So it's never consistent, but you can find us on YouTube and then uh, social media. You can find us at Game Deflators on Twitter at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. Of course, you can also find us on the podcast app you're listening to right now or other podcast applications and leave us a five star review, not only on the one you're listening to right now, but all applications. We would greatly appreciate it. First person to a hundred five star reviews wins a prize. Yes, it is a date with Ryan to play video. Games. I didn't say it was a good prize. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, recent pickups. So I actually picked up Endling Extinction is Forever. I have no idea what that is. So this is a game where you play a mother fox. It's a survival game, actually. So you play a mother fox who's trying to keep her pups alive. Oh, I remember the trailers for this. This yeah, is just so, a couple years old. Yeah, so it's fifteen dollars on Amazon right now for a brand new copy on Switch. And I was like, uh, yeah, like Last nine year out old. of ten. I think it's like ten out of ten on Steam and like eight out of ten on other plat on other 
you know, website. So I was like, I'll pick it up, you know, 15 bucks. It's not too bad. And it's uh, about a four hour game, I want to say. So it's not too long. It's definitely one worth like, you know, just kind of hanging back and playing. Um, so we'll see how that is at some point in time. But obviously I've got a list of tons of games that I got to go through and play. Uh, but right now I am actually playing Hat in Time as part of our summer game challenge. How is it? It's not too bad. It's not the greatest, but it's not too bad. So I didn't hit it. I thought I hit it on the head. I thought you were going to love this game. It's all right. Like maybe I just haven't gotten far enough. It's a little repetitive in certain sections in like what you do, but it's broken out by it's interesting. It's broken out by like act and scene, right? So you have like act one, scene one, scene two, et cetera. Um, So that's kind of how that's broken out. But like the platforming aspect is good. Like I'm definitely enjoying the platform component of it, but it's definitely like lower tier in terms of difficulty. So you can go through every level, like bare bones doing nothing and just kind of getting to the end result. So I'll give you an example. Uh, there was one level that you go into and there's no real, like there's a story, but it's not like a story story. Like the whole it's concept is you're collecting your hourglasses to be able to take up to your ship and whatnot, which is kind of cool exploring the ship and unlocking things like it's your worlds or your chapters and acts are broken out by the rooms that are in your ship that are currently locked because you don't have enough hourglasses to open them. Right. So you progress through the different acts and chapters. So as far as platforming is concerned, um, you know, each level is different, but kind of set in the same area. So my first area was mafia town. My second area is like the, um, the bird acting guild or something like that. So it's like a bunch, it's like penguins and crows and stuff who are shooting movie scenes and you basically have to go on those movies. So there was one that was like, um, I forget the name of that movie. Oh, uh, God, what's that train movie where there's a murder on the Orient express. Yeah, yeah. It's like murder. Yeah. It's basically that. And you play through like two scenes of that. Um, Murder mystery just, on a train in a video game is always the best. Like that's my favorite chapter in Thousand Year Door, and it's always great. Yeah, so it was that. That actually was pretty fun. That level because you're doing stealth and everything, and you're like kind of puzzle solving along the way. Like, oh, I got to get this key, but where is it? Okay, I got to kind of puzzle solve my way. Like minor, minor puzzles. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, the crows are laughing, so I have an opportunity to go so they don't spot me. Type of deal. Um. But yeah, so one of the other levels was like there was lava in Mafia Town and I had to go go around and find all of the spigots that were shooting out lava, hit them all, turn them off, and then Mafia Town is saved from lava, basically. So, and then of course your prizes are hourglasses. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting in general. Um, you know how that goes. You, you pick up yarn balls to be able to craft additional hats. There's a guy that sells pins, which allow you to do different things like um, you can hover with your, uh, umbrella, for example, if you're like too, like you drop too far, like if you're way too high and you drop at the last moment, you'll, your umbrella will come out type of deal. Um, and then the different hats do different things. Like I have one that's like a chemist type of deal. So you can throw like little vials that explode. Uh, there is one that makes you run faster. There's one that lets you ground pound of ice. And then you have all the hats at your disposal at all times. So you could switch through them. So if one particular area is like, oh, there's a snowflake symbol, I know I need to ground pound that and it'll like shoot me off into different areas. So it's pretty cool. It isn't my favorite platformer, but I mean, it's not like I'm kind of getting bored of it. I'm still enjoying it. And the nice thing is that unlike platformers like, you know, say a Banjo-Kazooie or something like that, you don't have to get everything in the level. 
right? You can just kind of progress and have some fun with the area, complete your quest and just kind of move along the story. So there is that as a plus. Um, so that, that does have it going for it. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, so far I'd say it's like a seven out of 10 in, in what I'm experiencing and who knows, maybe it'll get better. Maybe I'll enjoy it a little more. Uh, but that's where we're at. So, yeah. Yeah. How's it stack up to something like I know that you guys played like Super Lucky's Tale and that's also like a really easy platformer, but that's something kind of like along the same level, but maybe a little bit higher production. Yeah, so I think Super Lucky Tales better, actually. Like it's that's one that it's very clear cut, mm -hmm. like you go to a world and you have your different levels within the world. And, and in your boss, right? Uh, that to me is definitely very much clear cut. This one, it's kind of scatterbrained in a way. Like you do have your worlds and acts and you kind of go everywhere, but you kind of have like your one base mothership. Whereas in Super Lucky Tale, you go through like a warp portal. It takes you to the next area and the next area, next area. Yeah. And it's kind of broken out like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of a, the key difference there for me. And then Super Lucky Tale just seems a little more fluid and the controls are actually easier. So I will say my biggest qualm about um, Hat and Time is your right joystick. If you like push it up, it forces you like this close up view to the back of the kid in the hat. Right. But if you push it the other way, it like shoots it all the way back for a long view. So I'm like consistently finding myself like messing around the right joystick to try and get my viewpoint right. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of rotate and look at my surroundings to do certain things. Um, it is Hiding difficult. Hiding a camera is never what you want. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the camera angles in this, but it's not a bad game. I mean, it's not like I'd say, no, don't buy it. Like for I think I paid 20 bucks, 25 bucks. It's good for that. You know, it's not a terrible game. OK, cool. Yeah. Well, good update. Yeah, for sure. All right. Did you have any pickups or currently playing? Uh, Yeah, I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's going to take me forever to not beat. I'm going <laughs> to spend so much time not beating this game. It's going to be ridiculous. And uh, what about Pikmin? I mean, I got to hear some Pikmin updates, too. Oh, it's there. It's here. It's in my house. The, the box is somewhere up here on the shelf next to the... Uh, uh, here it is right next to the new Zelda box. <laughs> you got that shit displayed in your house and you're not playing it. Yeah. Well, I put, this is my, this is my currently playing spot. I've got John's oh, okay. game and my game. <laughs> oh, you know, I actually kind of like that idea. That's pretty cool. It's like, you know, unlike mine, like mine, I've got the TV set up and I've got like my games kind of side by side of what I'm playing. You've got it displayed, which is actually kind of cool. It's like the, you know, what are we reading this week in the book club type of deal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like that. With my shelves, like uh, people would lose their mind if they could actually see my shelves because I've got like all kinds of dumb stuff going on. Like I've got a shelf like somewhere over here, I think. This is like it's all of my Pokemon games. <laughs> so oh, it's like okay. it's DS games and Switch games and 3DS games just kind of all next to each other. Or I've got like a Final Fantasy shelf that's got like PS1, 2, 3, 4 games like all on it. Uh, but I'm running thing? out of rooms to be able to put my games because I don't really thing in the back left corner of my view. It looks like a down, down, down. No, no, down, down, left. The other left. <laughs> Keep going up that thing. What is that? Uh, that's a, a vase that I sculpted in ceramics. Oh, OK. I thought it was an urn at first. I'm like, what video game is that from, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of it looks I, like I guess urn. it kind of is earnest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the ashes of where all of Ryan's games go to die when he doesn't beat them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyways, uh, talking about stuff that nobody could see on an audio podcast, 
<laughs> uh, I've been playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom. It is so massive. There's so much to do. Uh, and I started hearing, you know, more reviews of people finishing it now or people's, you know, impressions of it now that it's been out for a little bit. Um, and I think we all have a lot of that same feeling like, man, there is so much to do in this game. How do I do it? And I feel like a lot of people are taking that time to ask that question and move forward with a plan. Like the completionist is doing a, an interesting way because he's trying to complete the game so he's letting youtube help him through the algorithm so like he'll see a video that's like oh here's you know this item here or this korok seed here or whatever and he'll go do that and then he'll kind of radial out and just kind of explore around that area until he feels like he's gotten everything in that area and then kind of moved on to like whatever the next trending thing is like oh this is where you could find this cool horse and then he'll go do that cool horse thing. So he's kind of doing it that way. Or somebody else, they just kind of went to all the shrines and did all the shrines so that they could get their hearts up. Because like dying all the time is frustrating in this game, but it happens constantly. And some of the saving stuff is a little weird too. Like if you build something and save and then die or reload your save, what you built won't be there. Like... Hmm. If you made something and you you have this uh, ability that you get later on, minor spoiler for anybody who hasn't gotten to this point yet, but uh, there's the build mechanic and then there's an auto build, which you get a little bit later and you know nobody really keyed you into was going to be a thing, but it saves you so much time because instead of having to assemble these constructions yourself, once you've assembled it, you can save it and then you can just... Wah! And if you have all the items around, it'll suck all the items up perfectly into place to be constructed. Or if the items are not readily available and you have this one resource, it'll convert that resource into those items so that it'll just build it. So like you could be in the middle of nowhere with no of the pieces to make a plane and then just assemble a plane and take off and get to where you want to go. Like that's pretty neat. And that explains why people can make these really complex things, you know, kind of with regularity, because like once you make it once, you don't have to make it by hand again. So gotcha. that's super helpful. Um, but using that ability has really opened up a lot to me because it, it really makes it so that your ability to like kind of have fun and and invent things is less limited by how much time you're sitting there actually doing that because i find myself playing the game and having that same battle in my mind like all right i'm sitting here messing around doing this having a good time you know i spent like probably a half hour yesterday trying to build a plane to make it to this place and on my like fourth or fifth iteration of the plane like giving it enough batteries giving it enough fans dying and loading and I finally made it to the place. And it's a place I can't even really be in. Like, I have zero visibility in this place. Like, you can see, like, six feet in front of me, and that's it. And it's Sky Island. So that, that might give you an idea of where I'm at. But, like, it, it's not an area I'm supposed to be in. But I got there. But, like, doing stuff like that is a lot of what this game is about. But that's one half hour out of the 60 to 70 hours that it would take to beat this game so like 
I have a feeling that didn't really help move me forward. So I, it doesn't take away from that 60 to 70 hours that's still in front of me. It was just extra time I spent with the game. I feel like that's where like I get into trouble with big giant games like this. Cause I'll play like, I played 120 hours of Elden Ring in like the first, you know, month and a half, two months. Jeez. And I only got like halfway through the game. Everybody else beat that game in like 50 to 60 hours. Yeah. I think I beat it in like 55. So like I only got to the mountains in the city. Like I just spent so much time wandering around doing my own thing or whatever. Like, I don't know how I waste so much time to compare it to people who are just playing through the game, but like these big giant games, like after I did the first two, um, like kind of main quest areas in the game, I did the death mountain and I did the Zora stuff. So that to me is like, okay, you're like halfway through the major goals of this game. Like slow the breaks down, man. You have only unlocked this kind of portion of the map. You still have a zillion things to do and see. Like, what are you racing towards? Because this is a game where you could just kind of get rid of all that other stuff and go straight to the finish line, basically. So like trying to have that balance in this game is ultimately what's going to make it so that I never finish it. But, you know, hopefully I'll have my own, you know, fun along the way and be able to keep talking about it. But I, I do really foresee Zelda being what I'm going to be playing for a while now. Um, But yeah, I do. I need to get the darkness from you. I need to beat that before the end of the summer. And then somehow I need to find eight hours of Pikmin or four Dude. hours of Pikmin. And Pikmin will be so easy for you. you just well, gotta, I'm already halfway uh, done, but at this point, uh, I'm almost considering restarting just because it's been a month <laughs> or well, two. Halfway done on the GameCube version? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, dude. Like, just honestly, like, every day, take like an hour and you'll yeah. beat it by the end of the week. Like, I know it sounds like. John, I have tears. I have tears in a kingdom. They're flowing. Yeah, they need me. There are Pikmin that require your your help. Those Pikmin do... have been there since the mid 2000s. That is true. Okay, so they're all right. <laughs> they haven't died yet. Um, so you kind of remind me when you said Sky Island, I'm like, oh, Skypea, One Piece. Where's John and One Piece? In case the people are wondering. Um, current. Current. Yes. So, I, well, I did read the manga. So I got pretty far in that. Um, so I already know what's happening. But oh my God, dude, the Wano arc battles are just ridiculous. I. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you, obviously, because you don't know what's happening, but I've gotten past all of the lead performer fights and then uh, Kaido, like they just kind of they're kicking back the battle with Kaido and stuff going on right now. And dude, the animation quality just goes from like if it was at a five during the Big Mom arc, it's at like a 12 during the Kaido arc. So they really threw some extra money at it. Oh, dude, like it is sick, like the artistic, like the direction that they go in artistic style like there's parts of the fight where it breaks out into like comic book scribbling on like just white on blue or like oh, red yeah. on white and it's just oh, dude, i love that so awesome like you gotta catch up man it's so good the wano arc aren't you on like episode like 850 or 900 i wasn't watching i was reading it oh you were reading okay where are yeah. you at in the actual anime oh i mean i stopped watching the anime after they fell out of uh skypea Oh, dude, you're that far off in the anime. I That's when I started to read. Like, I stopped watching at that point. That was a long time ago. Because, like, right after that, they, like, fall into that marine base that's kind of, like, yeah. just a it's side actually, thing. It's actually filler, yeah. Yeah, that's all filler. Because when I picked up reading the manga, I was like, okay. It starts right up at, like, 
long ring long neck or the Davy back fight. I forget which one comes first. I don't remember, dude. It's been so long now for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it like it, it starts up there and that's where I started reading, but yeah, I haven't read in a while. Yeah. I'm on technically episode 1063. So I have to watch it. Uh, I'll probably watch it tomorrow because I have the day off. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'll probably play unforgotten. Is it unforgotten Swan as well? Uh, no, the unfinished swan, unfinished swan. So I might try to start that today because I think you're going out to that Memorial Day party as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I just really wanted you to get a taste. But if you if you play it and you decide like you want to hang on to it, you could definitely borrow it to finish that up. But it's um, it's a super fun game. Like you'll you'll get the mechanic of it like right away, like within the first 15 minutes, you'll have a pretty decent idea of like what you know you're expecting and how it's going to play out but like that like initial moment of the game is just so fun I, i've shown it to a lot of people who aren't gamers or people who don't really play you know indie games or things because i think that it really has one of those moments in gaming where like it just kind of gives it to you and as you figure it out it just kind of like oh it's got one of those to it yeah uh, it's two and a half hours in length so i honestly will probably beat it until you know when we catch up next time um all right let's dive into our discussion topic this week so we're oh wait okay tate just sent us all a group message (laughs) so i'm just seeing that come up um i'm trying to pull up my list of the playstation showcase so we can chat about that yeah so the playstation showcase happened this week this was the first time in a long time uh, that we've had this opportunity from PlayStation for them to really show us what it is they're working on and what's coming down the road. I watched, um, not live with it, but I watched a one of my favorite YouTubers uh, watching it and and their reaction, Mr. Matty Plays. Uh, I thought that he had some pretty good takes. He had some pretty incredible guessing too. So like watching him watch it, he'd be watching, he'd like, oh, I think this is this game. And he was right, like, within, like, two or three seconds of the trailer starting for, like, the first five games. It was pretty good. But the uh, the amount of stuff we saw I was impressed with, the quality of stuff we saw most people were not impressed with. Really? I would okay. say uh, the general reaction that most people have been giving is that, you know, there were, like, one or two things and everything else was kind of not... You know, they were hoping for more, basically. Everybody's always hoping for more. But yeah, after such a long wait, they were really hoping for more. That's interesting. Yeah. So in looking at, I mean, I probably saw more trailers than you did. I don't remember, but I definitely saw Fair Game, Helldivers 2. Well, I watched the whole showcase, so I, okay, I saw everything. Okay cool. okay, cool. So you saw more than I did. But in terms of what I was excited for, um, you know, I definitely liked Ghost Runner 2. Look cool. I have Ghost Runner 1. Uh, Phantom Blade Zero is right up my alley. I'm sure yeah. you watch that and we're like, yeah, John written all over it. As soon as uh, I saw that one, I was like, this looks like a John game. And more importantly, like the quality of that is it, I've only seen one person who has been like, uh, I don't know, looks a little shifty, looks a little like maybe kind of canned animations and stuff. Maybe it's not going to be that great. But like to me, seeing like the multiple combatant blocking and countering and stuff like that's something that would be a really cool next gen kind of showcase thing like ray tracing is great 
but it really only does so much and is so impressive. But like actually being able to get like the choreography and animations and interactions with multiple enemies at once, that would be a really great thing to start to tackle this generation to really up that kind of level. Cause like I, I've not seen a game trailer that looked like gameplay and looked like gameplay like this intense. Yeah, it, it looks solid for me. I think it's actually an exclusive to PlayStation. I, I don't know if they're developing it in-house or what, but I'm pretty sure this one's actually an exclusive, if I recall. Um, Let's see. The other one uh, that really got me excited was Sword of the Sea. So I did play Journey. I did play Abzu. I haven't played um, the other one that was mentioned, but this looked right up my alley as well. Uh, believe it or not, Cat Quest Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> caught my interest. <laughs> So I'm going to have to check that one out. Uh, what else? I think that um, um, this was the second time that we've seen the Plucky Squire. They showed that off, I think, at like Jeff Keighley, one of his programs last year. See, I didn't watch the full thing yet because it was like an hour and a half and I just haven't had time this week. So I, I need to see that. I did see the trailer for Snake Eater. That looked pretty cool. Um, and then what was the other one that really caught my oh Spider-Man 2, of course. Yeah, the Spider-Man trailer, I mean, to close it out was well, a, not even I think a trailer. It was too much. I well, think it was, it was too long. <laughs> it wasn't a trailer, though. It was straight up gameplay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the amount of game time that they showed, like, I'm sure that that would have been a very cool scene for people to have played themselves in the game. But I mean, if they're willing to show off all of that, that's got to mean that this game is absolutely loaded to the brim with moments like that. Now, you haven't beaten Spider-Man or have you? You We've only no. played it for the show, right? My wife beat it and she really enjoyed it. OK, and yeah. I saw her playing it. But yeah, I and I know we we used to have a friend who uh, who was playing it and we would see him playing it sometimes before D&D. Yeah. But like people have really loved these games and and these is definitely a series of games that I need to go back and play because being Spider-Man is awesome. And this trailer really made me see like, OK, this is what I've been missing out on. Yeah. So, you know, overall, the games I saw, I was I wouldn't say it was like it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. But I mean, think like Phantom Blade Zero was enough to get me excited for what's coming down the pipe and everything mm-hmm. else to me was a bonus. Yeah. The the biggest disappointments i think from this showcase are going to be the vr section Mm -hmm. because so resident evil 4 remake psvr 2 that's going to be awesome i mean resident evil 4 has sold on every platform it's been on it already has a vr mode for the original having a vr mode for this because they've made a vr mode for the last three games i mean we all knew that was coming that's not mind-blowing news for anybody and it's going to be great um arizona sunshine i know was a pretty well received uh original vr game the first one i don't think it got a north american release because i have a pal version of it okay but uh maybe just not physical maybe it was digital only over here yeah yeah. well yeah true 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 yeah i've got a physical copy but pal the um I mean, people are going to be into that crossfire. That was like crossfire X was that huge disappointment on Xbox. So we'll see what happens there. But like none of this is is a big first party title. None of this is Sony standing behind the, you know, hardware that they just made. And Sony kind of has a habit of creating hardware and then expecting third parties to fill in support like they really should have had something here to tell people why they bought 
their PSVR two, and I don't think it really was for any of these reasons. Yeah, except for and, Beat Saber. Like you have to have Beat Saber. Yeah, and given the cost of PSVR two. I mean, right now, it's just to me, it's not worth picking up right now. What really pisses me off is the lack of backwards compatibility. And yeah. that's just holding me off from buying one because I, I want to play all my VR games I have on PS4. So why would I jump all of a sudden to the, uh, you know, PSVR 2? Yeah, the so. the fact that to play the PSVR library, you will need two different headsets of wildly varying quality is ridiculous because the thing is, as soon as you get a PSVR 2, there's almost going to be nobody who's going to be willing to go back and play their PSVR one at that point with the lack of, you know, innovations and stuff. Cause you're still using the PS three move wands for that. Yep. You know? And so um, we'll also talk a little bit more later on about the, we've got an article showcasing the, the new project hardware Q. and project yeah. Q, but that was kind of another low point. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the games and some of the other article that we got, but I, I mean, for the most part, like, I think that people kind of overreacted. I thought it was like a decent enough showcase. It kept my interest as somebody who doesn't even have a PlayStation right now, but I think for people who are hungry for a lot more announcements, there was just a lack of gameplay in here on some of these, like, um, what was the Concord? Cool. I didn't, see, I didn't see that one yet. Dude, you nobody saw anything. We saw oh, okay. a cool. full CG trailer of a ship in space and some stuff on the ship. Oh. <laughs> like there were okay. some plants and I think a hamburger. So if you're into plants and hamburgers and spaceships, this is the game for you. So Concord, aka vegans in space. Because it's not a it's a plant-based burger, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um Let's see. Marathon is coming out. Uh, are you familiar with Marathon at all, John? Nope. So Marathon was Bungie before Halo back on mm. like the Apple. They made Marathon is, is, I believe, like what's behind it. I know Marathon from Red vs. Blue. If you guys have ever played or watched the show Red vs. Blue, when they go back in time, that's Marathon. But it's a it's a pretty interesting game. It carries over a lot of stuff uh into halo like uh aliens that like have like other types of alien races all commingling as like a society and those are like the enemies i think it's got like some ai stuff but like great great trailer for cg just beautiful looking but showed us absolutely nothing about the game it was a lot of that kind of stuff and people don't like that really as much when you're trying to show them something new because yeah. it doesn't show them anything. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I would say, most of, of what I think and, and what we've got here as far as the showcase here. Uh, hopefully the next one that they have doesn't wait two years and, you know, lives up to everybody's expectations. But I mean, the, the next one, who knows what's even going to be involved with. Yeah, probably more stuff of like to come in 2025. <laughs> you know, right. How it usually breaks down. All right. Uh, what else have we got in discussion? So um, we could talk a little bit about d and I know we've been playing uh, as, as often as we can. <laughs> it's been a little bit here and there on the scheduling. But I think we're like, what, at least halfway through our first year? Uh, actually. Didn't well, we do like our midterms or something? 
technically you guys are or are we about and, to taste our finals for the year? You guys are close to the finals. Like in all aspects, you guys technically should have finished your first year already. But the game, the book is just so, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, milestone, milestone, milestone. Yeah. But I have to put in filler and some components to like stretch out a year of content technically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why when, when we've been playing Strixhaven, uh, it's like, all right. Well, two weeks have passed since this happened and you guys are in this course and this is what's happening because if like I can't go like week to week or even like day to day, like it'd be impossible. You know, I have to stretch it out. So like, for example, um, not not last week, but like the week before, I think. Yeah, it was like two weeks before where I was like, all right, Ryan, your character has an art show that will be taking place in three weeks. So that way I kind of give us, you know, some time frames within like what's happening. So it feels a little more stretched out. Yeah. And then whatever you got. And when you get to that point, it'll be like, okay, a month has passed and you're towards the end of the school year and here's what's happening. So I'm trying to split it up like that because it, it's, I'm not a fan of how this book is laid out. So I'm having to take uh, content from different books. So like you guys are actually per the last session, um, well, I guess to go back a little bit, like I think we talked about the Mykonen and going to the Underdark uh, on here a few weeks back, but um, I had you guys do a milestone section, which was a battle in this tavern, right? To battle uh, steam methods. And then you kind of uncovered more about like what's happening. And then I broke out from that to have you guys do like classwork and extracurriculars and some fun things on the side there. And you guys, like I've just been letting you guys take it from a role play perspective mm-hmm. and then just timing in and kind of building off of what you're creating. Uh, and then now I've got uh, uh, keys to the golden, whatever it is, I forget the name of the book, but it's a heist basically yeah. you're about to do a heist and it's kind of flavored in a way that works with the world of Strixhaven, even though it's like a hundred percent not. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how it's been <laughs> so far, but you guys are pretty far in the first year. Well, like, it's, Go yeah, on, go on. it seems like you're having to use, you know, a couple of different DM muscles because like it is similar to like a city setting or something like that, where it's everything's very close together. You're not dealing with a big area. So the time seems very more minute, like going from event to event doesn't take a week's worth of travel. So the desire to kind of fill those times is, you know, obviously like, okay, you guys, nothing happened for two weeks, I guess. But at the same time, like in an adventure. But what would happen, right? Like you're in school. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In a traditional adventure, like you're doing the adventure, like you're actively in the adventure. In this, we're actively in school and the adventure is happening to us. Like we're not really going out and seeking it yet at this point. We're kind of doing our own thing. So I don't think that you're doing, you know, I think you're doing everything right. I think that everything feels good and feels like that kind of thing. Like I keep uh, comparing it to like the Harry Potter books and movies in the Harry Potter movies. It's very like, you know, here's chapter 13, here's chapter 20, and here's chapter 35. That's the movie. You guys got all the information that was important. 
But when you read the book, there's yeah. all those little things in between the scenes in the library, the scenes in the common room and the real desire of D&D, I feel like for some people is to have the imagination of playing out those scenes. But in reality, there's not really a whole lot of interest when we don't really have, you know, a plot thrust upon us like people in a story like in a book do like we're not really going to sit around the common room you know doing this that and the other in an entertaining way we're going to be kind of waiting for just the next thing to happen dm so like yeah. I, I think that you've reached a really good balance and i feel like those kind of vibes i think the scheduling and the moving from person to person and like your events and your events and how we're kind of helping and influencing like uh originally i wanted to help a, a bit with the campaign too but joel's really kind of made like that his kind of thing helping with um the campaign for the school but then uh, you've kind of president. had your tie you've had your tie in too for student body president for tara where you've created this sculpture that em embodies right yeah uh, her opponent and that opponent happens to be your your group's rival as well. So well, kind of tying in that, that piece. Yeah. I think I've, I think I've made uh, a goal for my character to just try to fuck with Varian Blackwood as much as I can, because that's one of the things that you never see in a story like that. Like Harry stands up to Draco, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, but nobody tries to bully him back. Like if yeah. somebody just tried to get under his skin and make him super uncomfortable, like that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And I'll probably have him tied in again here. Um, and actually you guys tried to, you guys tried to make a fake invite yeah. for him to go to. And I don't remember if you guys actually completed it. I need to ask Tara if she completed it, but um, yeah, I appreciate that. Cause like it's, it's difficult to try and get this campaign set up in a manner where I feel super comfortable with like the progress and how it's going. But as long as you guys are having fun, that's what matters. Yeah. And like, I, I was laughing so hard at the last session because Tara, Tara's campaign became a Trump campaign uh, where she was talking about building the wall and everything to keep out, you know, all of the monsters from Strixhaven. And then I kind of like, oh, we're going to drain point, the swamp. Yeah. Well, you guys where, are going to drain the swamp because that's where sort the of house is. It's just fit perfectly. And then, of course, I have a character come in with a hat that says make Strixhaven safe again. So yep. it it's all it's all flowing nicely in that regard. And, you know, as long as you guys are having fun with it, uh, that's really what counts. And so it's just my job to kind of bank off of what you guys and what you're doing and play off of it. Like when you were building your sculpture and I'm playing this NPC who's like, oh, well, I'll help you build like this podium and everything to put it on and I'll go get the supplies and we'll, and we'll make that happen. And that's just like this organic, you know, DM to player, you know, play out right of mm -hmm. what's happening. And all that whole scene was on the fly, dude. Like I didn't have any of that written down. And honestly, like prep is good. Prep has been pretty easy for his campaign to an extent. Like with all of that, I just kind of type down notes. It's like, or not type, but write out. It's like, okay, Ryan, you're working on your sculpture. So-and-so comes in and says, do you need any help? That's it. That's scene. all I have written down. Yeah, scene, right? And it's like, all right, let's do this. Let's. Make I mean, it that's that's where you know I really started feeling better about DMing. Like when I started DMing, I had like my first session was written like I I don't know, like a like a write up for a show. Like I had like scenes and dialogue lines and like. It was all very cinematic and like TV portrayed because that's kind of like the only reference point I really had 
and, and that's how I jumped into it. And then eventually I started realizing from watching videos and just kind of doing my own thing, like what you really need is just a list of things that you need to know and then the ability to jump off with those like as my dm style that's kind of like what i would do so it's like okay here's like here's like the shops that they might find here's some characters that they might find you know a few little lines about them and their name you know here's like some monsters and just kind of like here's all of the tools that might come up let the players go and then throw the tools in as you need them. And so, you know, once you can kind of get to the point where you're prepping that way, at least for me, I felt a lot more free and a lot less bound by, okay, I need to prep all of this stuff. It became a lot easier and I'd be able to kind of move with the punches a lot easier because it was easier to pivot. Yeah, see, I take a different approach. Mine is more of a linear aspect in which I have it kind of streamlined out how I want you guys to move, but I have things built in and developed that interact with what's happening right now. It depends on the story, obviously. Like this one is very much streamlined. Like there's school, there's extracurriculars. You guys are kind of on a schedule. There's things that happen in between. And then what are the fun things that we're doing along the side, right? But how I would prep it in comparison to say, um, you know, when I did Avernus, Avernus, I had to prep multiple scenarios to say the characters could do this, the characters could do that. And then how do we go based off their reaction and, and how their actions really? Um, and I, I want to say the next one I'm going to do is probably the Dark Souls uh, campaign. I'm not sure yet, but we'll see. Like I have all the minis and everything for that. But, you know, this has been very much linear and just letting you guys organically create the story and the fun. That's just been my approach for this one. Whereas Dark Souls might be a little more like you guys can go anywhere you want type of situation. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. But either way, I'm pretty happy with how it's turning out. Good. Cool. All right. Let's dive into some uh, stories here. So the first one is Microsoft makes clear that a dozen PlayStation Showcase games are also coming to Xbox. This is Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. Uh, so it, it was kind of funny, like right after the showcase, Microsoft put up a tweet that had images of all of the different games highlighted. It was like, oh, these games look great or whatever. Can't wait for them. But it was actually titles that were coming to both consoles. So kind of try and take away a little bit of that thunder from Sony to say, yeah, you know, it's a lot of cool games, but we got them too. Interesting, though, because Microsoft, when they had their like Xbox showcase, whatever you want to call it, I forget what they call theirs. Uh, they had a ton of games that were actually multi-platform that we didn't know if they were or not. Sony, I don't recall, did anything like this. So it'll be interesting to see if there's like a tit for tat on uh, on what Microsoft did here during their next showcase. Well, I think that um, <laughs> this is one of those things that you're going to see, you know, taking shots. I think a lot of this might have to do with like maybe a little bit of a sting from how hard Sony was, you know, railing xbox on the activision blizzard deal so like showing hey you know just because you guys are playstation doesn't mean you get all the good stuff like xbox has some stuff too like and these are you know some of these titles on this list are like the really big ones that people would want too so first off metal gear solid delta snake eater the remake that's huge. Like the fact that that is going to be on Xbox also is enormous. If that was going to be a PlayStation exclusive, it would have been 
another one of those moments where it's like, okay, is, is something going on here? Like that we don't know about, like, is there a reason that this isn't going to come to Xbox? Is there some kind of, you know, Square Enix backdoor kind of thing going on where Konami's maybe not going to be starting to play so nice with other companies outside of PlayStation? Who knows? Uh, Dragon's Dogma 2, that's really hotly anticipated. Alan Wake 2, that's really hotly anticipated. Um, Marathon, that's the one that stands out to me the most because that's Bungie. Bungie's owned by Sony. So Sony doesn't apparently feel confident enough to make this. I'm pretty sure they said it's going to be an extraction shooter. So they might just feel like, hey, you know, as big as PlayStation is, we need this to be multi-platform to have a big enough player base to support trying to get this IP up off the ground and as a new live service established. So that's the biggest one that shocked me. I thought for sure that that would just be on PlayStation only. Well, I mean, it's one of the situations where I think, you know, you put it on Xbox, people get a taste for it. And then do you take it off down the road? Not take off that one, but if there's any sequels or anything along those lines, mm. do you take it off and just put it as PlayStation? Because now you have that notoriety in the market. I'm surprised they didn't do it with Destiny, but Destiny, I don't think is, is it's a big game but it's not it's not like in my opinion like an apex legends or a call of duty right in terms of player base as far as i know not anymore i think maybe back in the day but yeah i think you're definitely right now like compared to other live service games destiny kind of has its core audience but doesn't really I don't know if the destiny really grows in the same ratios that other games do because they've had such a history of sunsetting their updates and stuff. Like I was really into destiny one for like four or five months when it first came out. And then I never played it again or destiny two, but I listened to some people who play some destiny two. And I know that like over the years, it's like, you can't just go back and play all of the destiny content. Like, after like a year or something, they close off that content. You can't go back to it anymore. You can't get those guns anymore. All of that is just a part of something you might have been able to do one day in the past. Yeah. So it given that ability to not really be able to fully catch up on the story or do everything that other people have done. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could go back and play. Wow. And like start at the beginning of wow. And go like all the way through all the expansions to get to the current. Or, you know, and I think you could do that with like Elder Scrolls and like all those other big games, but not with Destiny. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of a nature of live service games, right? Like Apex Legends, if I wanted to play it right now, I haven't played for however many seasons. If I jump in right now and start playing, there's so much that I've missed. There's new characters, there's levels I never got to play, guns I didn't get to use, or things that change of those guns or additions have been made. So it it just kind of varies. And that's just the nature of this type of game. So I am going to be interested to see how Marathon plays out, right? Like if it becomes this like crazy played game across multiple platforms, does Sony kind of pull it back and say, "Eh, you know what, you're taking Call of Duty and we're not going to have that on here. Well, we're going to go ahead and put Marathon on just Sony. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But it's, you know, I think we're going to have more of these shots like Microsoft just did here and and we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, In fact, I just saw something the other day that they referenced that uh the playstation is outselling the xbox like four to one and that's now being used as like 
you know, amongst their appeal, I think of the uh, UK mm-hmm. and uh, and they're ruling on the Activision uh, Blizzard, <laughs> Activision Blizzard. Well, yeah, Activision Blizzard acquisition. I mean, that's so, one of those things, though, like if they're worried and I guess we don't have a we haven't really talked about that in a couple of weeks, huh? I mean, nothing's really happened so far. I mean, they just did well, the, the EU approval. We didn't talk about. I thought we did. But uh, either way, I mean, they're appealing the UK, uh, formally appealed the UK. And then I think there's still a lawsuit pending with but the uh, in a world where there's the not going to be maybe a PlayStation six or an Xbox series Y720, um, you know, cloud gaming, that's what they were concerned about. There's no outselling four to one in cloud gaming like it's just cloud gaming. Yeah. So what I've learned with the whole UK situation is that technically they'll be able to still sell like Activision games in the UK. They just wouldn't be able to do cloud gaming in the UK is how oh. I understand it. Well, so that sounds it, like a, an easy choice for Xbox. Just don't let them do cloud gaming in the UK, I guess. Yeah. I because mean, you've got one. the rest of the world at your yeah. oyster. Yeah, pretty much. And then at some point that'll likely change. So really it all hinges on the U S right now. If the U S goes through and says, no, then the deal's done. Like it's not happening. Uh, if they, I mean, if they say no, sorry. Uh, but if they say yes, then, then they're good to go. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. All right. Uh, next thing here is PlayStation's new console is already being roasted by angry fans. I don't know why it says new console on the title, um, but this is gaming Bible and it's Sam Cawley, uh for this one. They're and calling so, it a console of sorts in some, not, it's a peripheral. I mean, yeah. I I guess the name console is more of a grabber. I I guess that headline must be grabber. Like, yeah, clickbait type of title, but it's not a new console. It's really just a peripheral. All it is is a PlayStation Q or whatever Project Q, and it's if you haven't seen it yet, it's just two Dual Shocks with a screen in the middle connecting via Wi-Fi, so that way you can poop all your game. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's or when somebody wants to watch TV and you say, "Okay, I'm going to go ahead and play my game." So it's I'll be with you watching TV, but I won't be paying attention. Exactly right. <laughs> or the kids are watching TV and they're you know wanting to watch whatever, and then that goes with the new Sony earbuds, right? So you've got your Sony earbuds and your PlayStation earbuds, and then you've got your little Project Q in hand, and you can ignore your kids while you play I, video games. Yeah, I think these both of these products have the same problem. They look like a Sony and they're probably going to be priced like a Sony. So yep. I actually like the look of those headphones. I think that they're kind of sleek. I like that. It's got like that slidey case. Like I would be interested in those, but we were just talking about wireless headphones like a couple weeks ago. There's no yeah, way they're uh, going to sell those for like less than $150 probably. I mean, I got my one plus earbuds for like one. No, actually, I think I paid 80 for mine and they're solid. Like I like them. Yeah, I but I don't need anything better than that. They're going to overcharge for those. And this this handheld thing is going to be so overpriced in my mind. Like there's no way they're going to be able to price this appropriately to where it's actually going to be as successful as anybody would want it to be. It's got to be 200 or less. If it's anything more than that, nobody's going to buy it. Yeah, because at $200, you buy your kid a switch and guess what? It, it works on its own and you don't need a $500 PlayStation to go with it. Yeah. I mean, you're when you start thinking about the full PlayStation experience right now, 
you're talking if, if this was priced at 200 bucks you're talking 1200 dollars yeah. not including any games or extra controllers 1200 bucks yeah i that's i think crazy. i think that the um like the, that's, <laughs> that's a high-end pc yeah in today's day and age the appeal of this device is there. People would want to play this. I feel like the look of the device is really holding it back. Like the fact that it literally just like in the comments, people are like, oh yeah, they just used the fuse from Tears of the Kingdom and fused a switch with a DualShock 5 controller. Like well, the look a- is just not there. It doesn't look like a cohesive, like good new thing. It really looks janky. Well, and you brought it up a while back. Like, just give me DualShock controllers with the ability to put my phone in between. They have that. The Backbone controller. It costs yeah. $100. So, so if exactly. that costs $100, there's no way this is only going to be $100 more. Because, like, the DualSense itself is, like, almost $100. Well, it's not an OLED screen, though, from what I know. So it doesn't have that going for it. Yeah, so that would make it impossibly expensive. Here's the thing, though. Like, comparisons to Switch are stupid. Because a Switch, you can play docked or you can play it handheld and that's it, right? And it doesn't require the console to be on, right? It, like you don't just pull this thing up and the console's on, right? It's either you play handheld or you play it docked. That's it. There's no in between. It's more akin to the Wii U is what it is. Yeah. And which is fine. And I, I don't even see it being like a Wii U clone because it's not going to have any inherent controllability that will enhance the PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I, as far as we know, but like the Wii U had touchscreen and everything else. Like we played the Kirby game, and you're playing on the touchscreen, right? Or other games that require you to touch things on the screen, and so it, it doesn't have that going for it. This is purely a, hey, I need to go to the bathroom, but I can't put my game down. Yeah, or I'm going to go to bed and I want to finish playing my game and take it upstairs type of deal, right? And that's assuming that you can play it upstairs, right? And, yeah. Or, however many square feet away. So I I don't think it's a product that's going to sell very well. Uh, I think this is more of a unique, we're going to make it for a small base of consumers to have this available, but there's nothing that's really going to, there's no games that are going to work as far as we know, exclusive to this particular device. Um, There's, we don't even know what's on the device. Like it, can this thing be hacked? Can you turn this into an emulator? Because I mean, basically everything winds up. Can you turn it into an emulator? And if you can, it gets a second life. Why? You can download Dolphin emulator on your on your phone right now and then go ahead and play with a backbone controller. So, like, why would you even want to do that? Well, I mean, that's that's just what I'm saying. Like, if this has that ability, like that's going to be its best chance at a second life. Like like the PSTV, you know, PSTV was like a pretty flop of a product. And then eventually people you know, we're like, hey, you can actually kind of do some kind of cool stuff with it. So then once they went, you know, on sale and clearance, everybody bought them up. And they're so popular for that now that they're actually pretty expensive on the secondhand market. Well, I think those are 3D, aren't they? 3D compatible TVs? Huh? No, no. I'm talking like the PlayStation TV thing that lets you like stream your uh, Vita games and or like PSP games on your TV. Oh, I was thinking the TV, the 3D TV that Sony released years ago. No, not that. This was like an accessory, the PlayStation TV. Gotcha. Uh, But they, uh, you know, if it has something like that, maybe in the long run, keep an eye on it. And, you know, if they go on sale in eight years, get one. I don't know. 
I don't, it's not for me to be honest. Like I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, this is something that'll hit a clearance rack in the next couple of years, I think. And hopefully I get it for like 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, okay. Well, speaking of emulation, uh, dolphin emulator on steam, it's release has been delayed and definitely following a Nintendo DMCA notice. This is Engadget, and it is uh, Igor Bonafiasic. I think, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, never right, saw so- this coming. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Sarcasm noted. Uh, yeah, so basically uh, a DMCA was, it actually wasn't issued to uh, Dolphin emulators released, or it was DMC towards Steam to remove the Dolphin emulator from Steam. And now Dolphin has the opportunity to go ahead and combat that. And then, of course, if they combat it, Nintendo could say, well, we're taking you to court. It's going to be interesting because... They don't have enough money to do that, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily that that I question it's dolphin emulator itself is not something that had it, it that in itself is not illegal. The dolphin emulator, it's the action of taking vi- video games and putting them on said emulator to play them. So I wonder how that would go in court because there's nothing illegal about what they have as a, as a software. And as far as I know, they're not making any money off of it either. The dolphin emulator. Uh, yeah, so, I I don't know the details on how much they are or are not making. I mean, that's that's the thing. If if they were making money, this would have happened a long time ago. Dolphin's been yeah. super popular in the emulation space, like literally as long as I've been doing emulation stuff. Like I remember Dolphin being like forever ago because it was like it developed for like Wii and GameCube generate, you know. Yeah. And the um the big thing here is I think just the availability like you could still go get this on github you know yeah, you could get it on your phone morning just in case <laughs> yeah you can do you could go get it wherever uh, that's not the issue here i think the issue here is that nintendo does not want this right out in front of everybody's face on steam because anybody who wants to emulate is going to emulate nintendo's not going to stop them but this is going to do a big blow to them in getting the layperson to see something you know on a platform that will get reviewed and promoted and have comments and have a whole like here's a whole introduction to a world you never knew about kid and that's what's interesting about it because if they are and here's where i question it right the dmca wasn't issued to dolphin it was issued to steam mm-hmm. and dolphin's been around a long time so to your point nintendo if they wanted this gone they would have done it a long time ago. I don't think they could have, like you were saying, I don't think they're doing anything wrong enough to really do the lawsuit. But if Nintendo wanted to take them to court, I mean, they would win just by the volume of money they have. Like those people Uh, would be so buried. They would never be able to even fight it. Maybe, but what, here's the thing. What type of lawsuit do you issue them? They themselves by putting something out is not causing you to lose revenue. It's other people who are out there putting things on said software to like, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of if you, if you were to open up your PlayStation five right now, you don't lose, like you might lose your warranty, but there's, there's other aspects of that. Like you're allowed to open up your consoles basically. Like I forget what the act was, yeah. but there's like electronics right to repair there. or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can crack it open and there's no issues there. Like, as far as I know, it goes back to DK oldies things like DK oldies will not honor a product apparently, or they were, people were saying they wouldn't honor a product if it was opened up and dirty, et cetera. Right. 
there's a rule in place where you can open up your console. You can do that. So if that exists, right, like that allows you to flexibility to do what you want with that product. How can Nintendo go out and say, well, we're going to sue you because people can use that, that software to do stuff. Nobody's forcing anybody to use Dolphin emulators, other emulators out there. So I think this honestly might be a situation. It'll be funny to see if Dolphin comes back and says, no, like we're going to fight this. Like there's nothing that we're doing wrong. And they actually beat Nintendo. I don't I think a, it'll happen. Like I would the amount of, of money and lawyers and time that that would take. I don't think anybody wants that on their agenda. I mean, do you have to hire an entire team and what's Nintendo going to sue over? They can't sue anything because they're not, I don't know if they're making money, but like if they're not making money, what is Nintendo going to sue over? There's yeah, no but I don't think you made. have to have a winning lawsuit to waste people's time and frustrate them and make them spend money. Yeah. And who's, who's losing that money? Nintendo is like if Dolphin just sits there and just kind of fights it in court without like a crazy amount of money towards lawyers, Nintendo's wasting that money on lawyers and wasting time in court. Yeah, but like if they're not charging for Dolphin anyways, where are they getting that money? Somebody's just paying money to have a lawsuit on, you know, principle at that point. And that's not really something you can count on people to do. Yeah, but is Dolphin going to fight it to that extent and hire a bunch of lawyers or just prevent the present the evidence, like general evidence? Like, do you have to have this full-blown like court battle of tons of money? Probably I think not. Do. I don't know. I think that's well, what Nintendo's counting on. They're counting I, I don't on think that, but. I don't think any court lawyer thing is ever just like, no, no, it's obvious that they're I mean do that. Well, yeah, I, I get it. But like going back to where we started here, then why didn't they issue it to Dolphin directly? Like they issued it to Steam. Probably so because that- we know that issuing it to Steam, Steam has no, they don't want to fight this even more. So if but Steam, Steam is getting pressure, to. they'll just take it off and just say, we don't want to deal with this. Yeah. True. We don't, because it Steam has no obligation to host anything. They don't have to true. put Dolphin on there for any reason. But you know what Nintendo has done by issuing this DMCA to Steam? They've just popularized dolphin even more yeah now it's in the news yeah they've put it more in the spotlight now so it almost is it's almost like a question of was this done on purpose also and and who has the steam deck yeah so this would be like a very you know what was that one there was an app i think we talked about it a while ago like they were advertising the steam deck and they had like an emulator featured in like the promo or something for it and they had to go back and edit it i'm not sure maybe it was just something i read about but yeah i mean the steam deck is like a hugely popular emulator thing and if you if you're running nintendo games on the steam deck and it looks so close to a switch that's definitely going to make nintendo upset oh yeah but you know what i don't have to go to steam to get dolphin emulator i could just go to the dolphin website yeah you know, and pick it up. Dolphin.com software. I think it's dolphin.com. I don't remember. I want to so. see what dolphin.com is. is, is hashtag, just pictures of dolphins. I'll be happy. Hashtag not a sponsor and Nintendo. They will, they will never be a sponsor. You're welcome. But yeah. Uh, okay. Well, while you look that up, let me dive into our, I don't inflation. know. It's some dumb search thing. Yeah. Let's, let's jump in our inflation deflation segment here. So rack and ruin. Developed by LifeSpark Entertainment, published by LifeSpark Entertainment and Premium Edition Games, designed by Tyler Hunt, released in March of 2015, is an action role-playing game with reception around a 5 to 7 out of 10. I got that right. 
The overall plot here is Rack and Ruin is a fusion of a top-down action adventure game and a classic arcade shooter. Take control of Rack, a maniacal demon wizard with a gleeful appetite for destruction, and embark on a grand adventure across a world filled with magic and wonder. Then transform the once enchanting world into a hellish nightmare. As the world falls deeper into darkness, Rack's power will grow, and the champions of goodwill rise to face him. The so. champions of goodwill? <laughs> I said of goodwill. I, yeah. I know, but the way you said it, it sounded like you're talking about like the store goodwill. Well, the champions of goodwill are those that are trying to uh, take all of the good stuff that is in goodwill and put it on their e-commerce website. Uh, so, Ryan, how about you dive into a little bit of mechanics here and, so, uh, and tell the people what what we played? Yeah, Rack and Ruin. This was a, a pretty decent game. We got this from our good friends over at Premium Edition Games. Uh, we shared an unboxing of that as well that you can find on the YouTubes. But this was pretty interesting. It, right off the bat, gave me huge Invader Zim vibes. I think I, I mentioned that. And he's just kind of like this big-headed little demon guy that's out to conquer the world uh, for his master, but maybe kind of also for his own purposes, it seems like. He's kind of a wild card. He's got a lot of that kind of Zim energy going on, I feel. Um, and, and I think you could kind of see maybe some of those influences channeled in there. Uh, as far as the gameplay, it is kind of like, I think I was describing it as like a Zelda twin stick shooter, which really isn't quite right. But it's it gets kind of the point across in the sense that you're traversing a world that's very much like a traditional top-down Zelda world. And uh, you just kind of, you know, aim and shoot fireballs or, or whatever at enemies is mostly what we were doing. There's like, you know, step on this plate to open this door type of puzzles or move this block over here to do that kind of puzzles. There's a little village with people that you can talk to about how you're going to destroy their world and everything. The, the writing seemed clever. The combat seemed, you know, pretty straightforward. Like there's nothing really new ground here that you're breaking, but I mean, I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, most of the areas that we were in, you'd see puzzles like, Oh, okay. Here's like, here's a, a plate that'll open a gate, but how do I get there? So it has you kind of thinking and, using some of those, you know, older gamer skills, just kind of exploring and, and figuring things out as you go. Um, I guess, you know, you got a little bit further than me after I left, but, you you know, there's more powers and things that I'm sure come up in the game later on to, to give it some more depth. But from what we played, I did think that it was definitely not a five to seven. Like that seems low. For, yeah. for what I was playing, but yeah, I didn't I play it all the way through either. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the thing. Like, I I intend on playing it all the way through. Right now, obviously, Hat in Time is what I'm playing, and I'll play a little bit of uh, Unfinished Swan as well. Uh, with those being two short titles, and and probably jump into this and finish it off. Uh, you know, I think my favorite thing really kind of comes down to it's got this nice charm to it, right? Like this happy-go-lucky town, and you're just coming in as this demon to destroy everything. So you take that reverse approach of instead of saving the townspeople it's we're going to destroy the townspeople and i just laughed when uh you face like this dragon who is this being that was brought in to help protect this realm and you, that's 
a little, I got past a little bit further than this, but the boss battle is that first dragon that you face. And it has like this guitar solo music and all these things going for it. And uh, the quips that, you know, Rack provides throughout, it's like laughing about how he's going to kick the dragon's ass and stuff, right? And and how he's going to to handle the entire town. And at one point you actually, you come face to face with a blacksmith and I just laughed so hard because it was, you know, oh, uh, I'm a blacksmith. I can make whatever you need, blah, blah. And then like, you just blow him up and you see the entire house just go like black soot all of a sudden. So it's just, it's funny. Like I, I just enjoy those types of bits of humor in a game. Like it's, it's not subtle, right? It's just fun is what it kind of comes out to. And so I agree. I, I don't think it's a five out of seven. I think it's more like a, a, a not a five out of seven, five to <laughs> seven. I think it's more like a seven to eight out of 10 in my opinion just it depends on what you're looking for in a game if you're looking for that top-down classic arcade style shooter i think you know this is a nice kind of balance between this fun uh quirky adventure and the elements that you get from that top-down arcade shooter uh tied in with like this fantasy story right like you're just following rack and his like pursuit of conquering this whole area, right? Or conquering the world, essentially. Um, I will say my my one big qualm with the game, though, is the world map. It kind of drives me a little crazy. Like, yeah, like yesterday when I when I was continuing to play through, it was like, oh, you got to go to this desert. I'm like, okay, cool. How do I get to the desert? Okay, that's where I'm supposed to go. But there's no way to like really zoom in and kind of check out the map and like get closer to where the character is and understand like your pathways. You just kind of have to wander a bit. And I found myself like wandering a bit and ended up in some random ass part of a map. Right. So now I got to yeah. like find my way back. So that's probably like the one big thing that I've had an issue with. But overall, I'm, I'm liking it. It's like a six hour game, so it'll be pretty quick. And um, yeah, so let's get into uh, brass tacks here. So a complete inbox. Uh, this is for a standard edition from our friends at Premium Edition Games. That'll run you forty four ninety five. Um, there's not really, you know, a loose market or anything going on right now, so we don't really have much to report on otherwise. Digitally, though, uh, I did see it advertised on Switch for twelve ninety nine and on PC for nine ninety nine on Steam. Yeah, and if you want the retro edition, which is what we unboxed, I think that runs fifty nine ninety nine right now. Um, you know, I was looking around at eBay because I was curious. While right? supplies like, last, is, while supplies last, true. Yeah, so I was looking on eBay to see like what this was going for in third party market, and a complete in box copy runs you like sixty four ninety nine is what I saw between sixty four ninety nine and seventy four ninety nine, and in the retro editions, there's like one outlier that sold for like some stupid low price. I don't know why. But everything else is listed like 125 as third party. So it kind of gives you an idea of what people are seeking on a third party market for this game. And so when I consider the fact that there's still stock available, you know, if you want this game and it's one that you've kind of had your eye on and you're looking to complete that collection, it's obviously much cheaper from the source right now. You know, so it's kind of like a get it while you can situation. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my opinion on that. Yeah, I will say that, you know, unlike a lot of other games that we talk about, there is kind of a big difference between, you know, the digital and the physical versions, especially because this is like a premium edition games game. So you're getting a lot more when you buy the physical edition. You get, you know, the challenge card, uh, you know, you get 
all of the cool artwork and new original manual and everything that comes with it. Like they really put in the effort to make this like a physical game. So I would say that like, if you're trying to compare this to like another physical release of like a digital only game that might be, or or another physical release of a game that you could just buy digitally, like on the switch, like the difference in that physical game box that you're getting is huge. Yeah. And the retro edition actually has a super Nintendo style box. So that was, that was a nice touch. Yeah. You know, I, I really did like that touch. Um, you do get a Metallica black like CD of the, uh, of the actual, uh, music that's on the, um, on the game. And then, uh, there's also a comic book that comes with, and I think when we talked to Barry a while back, uh, he had mentioned that the comic book was like, they were waiting for a few things to come in, I believe. And they decided like, Hey, let's add a comic book. Cause it's actually pretty cool. And there is some like comic book vibes in this game, mm-hmm. like in, in the style of art and how it progresses. So yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, it's, it's limited to an extent, right? I mean, it's still available, but they only produce so much unless they decide to put it in a second order, but I'm, I'm not sure we're, we're not in that business. Right. Yeah. But as far as I know, it's, if it's there and it's available, you might want to grab it if that's uh, if this is a game you're interested in. So overall ratings here, you know, we both said quality wise seven to eight out of 10. I think you might I think you might have been a little bit higher on it. But uh, in terms of pricing, you know, I think I think it's just right. You know, like you're not finding this in any other websites. It's straight from premium edition. Um, if you're going third party, it's priced up the ass on third party. If you want to complete that switch collection for North America, this is the place to get it. Well, know, and the other thing is like, this has been a game that's been out for a while on digital and it yeah. has a digital price. So like you don't have to buy the physical edition. You can always just get the digital. I mean, that's what many, many people have done and they've been very satisfied with that option. But yeah, if you I've... do buy it digitally and you really like it, I mean, getting that uh, physical edition would be nice as well. Yeah. And really at the end of the day supporting small developers right that's really what it kind of comes down to like helping them out to create new games and and just really it helps the indie industry out in general when you when you support these games so uh whether that's physical or or digital um still a positive thing regardless whichever direction you can go all right so let's see next week we're virtual again so we'll have to think of a game the following week though we are finally, we need to mark it down, Ryan. Like, let's put it in the in the schedule here. We have got to play saltwater fishing on the Dreamcast. So let's, let's see. This is episode 237, so that'll be episode 239. 239, yeah. Assuming something crazy does not happen and we get some random interview. Uh, 239, I am hoping, is saltwater fishing. It's got to happen. We, we, get, we keep talking about it since we played Super Black Bass. It's got to happen. And then uh, to kind of cap this off, too, uh, since we're talking about Rack and Ruin and just finishing that, check out last week's episode if you didn't. We actually talked with Paul Niemeyer. He's the artist behind uh, a lot of the cool cover art for Rack and Ruin. Uh, so hear that conversation. We talk with Paul about a lot of things, not just Rack and Ruin and Premium Edition, but just in general. Uh, his history with with gaming and uh, between board games and video games and everything else that he's done in his career. It's kind of a part two to a discussion we had with him. So definitely check that out too. All right, Ryan, this has been episode 
237 of the Game Players Podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.